me get here now. Hi, everyone. My name is Jill, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm sober. And I want to really, really welcome all you guys on Zoom because I see Mrs. Bailey there, and I know I got some more people, but I can only see three of you. Barbara Brown's there, and Michael. And I really want to give a big shout out to my friend Zena. Here's a big hug. Yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys. And I want to really thank everybody that um, came out, you know, tonight to be here for me and to support me and 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 stay sober yourselves because it's not all about me and uh i really want to thank my friend leslie for coming down and um i call her my friend because she's just somebody that i feel safe turning to if i have anything going on it works both ways in sponsorship you know it works both ways and i have a ton of girls in this room that i sponsor and i love each and every one of them they have placed their handprints on my heart and they are here all the time um you know, with me. And, and if they go away for any period of time, I kind of get a little nervous because <laughs> they're keeping me sober. It's not going the other way around. All right. Um, and thank you, Tom, for inviting me here tonight. That was so sweet of you and so nice. I don't, don't know who's what's and when's. I see Jerry's there too. Okay. And welcome to the newcomers, those of you that are new and those that you're kind of new. And, and uh, I just... I just want to say that if you can hear what I'm saying today, I absolutely know it's the truth because I've lived it. I've lived it to the point where I've been sober. I can tell you everything you want to know about being sober, but it's not going to make a hill of beans difference unless you have that vital experience and you find that stuff for yourself. It doesn't matter what I say. You're going to only be able to relate to my story. So when I work with people, I really go through the book with them and I try to get them to look at how this spiritual experience can happen for them in their own ways. So um, tonight, you guys get to walk a mile in my shoes. I'm going to tell you what it was really like growing up in the house that I grew up in. And I want to tell you about what it was like growing up in Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, I came into this program in 1982. Then that was the first time that I came in and, and, and was going to stay. I actually came into these rooms probably 1970, I'm going to guess about 72 or 73. I was taken by my mother and one of her AA friends, who was a nurse friend of hers, because <laughs> my mom was an RN too, and took her um, and me down to this church in Monrovia. And inside this church, I was standing on the steps outside at 14, 14, 15 years old, whatever it was. And um, Valerie was the lady's name that was there. And she says, we, you know, we have this meeting in here and this guy, Norm Malpy's in there, you know, and, and you should go in here and go listen to AA. And I was a kid and I was like, I don't need this stuff. Are you guys crazy? Now I've needed AA since I, my very first drink. There was no get to know you time with me. <laughs> it was like, bam. <laughs> I was immediately uh, an alcoholic of the worst variety. Um, when alcohol went in, inevitably something was going to happen from the very first drinks that I took. Um, I will say that I did have sips when I was two and three years old. My dad used to drink his his highballs and the whiskey and and uh, seven up and I guess not only the sugar in the seven up there was something in that whiskey that I just love to take sips up so as mom and dad always had their highballs 
you know, I, the kids, there was three of us as, as they came along and I was the oldest in that group of kids. And, uh, <clears throat> cause he had a couple before us and, um, you know, my, my parents, I was, I was raised up in Monrovia. My parents were upper middle class and, uh, my father was an electrical contractor and my mother was an RN and, uh, they used to drink back in those days because that was what they did. They were, they were fashionable. Uh, every night had cocktails. And I can't tell you from the time that I was a child, how many dinners that I spent underneath the kitchen table because of the fights and the screaming and the yelling and the ketchup was on the ceiling and the, the uh, silverware drawer was flying out and, and the noise. And, and I just remember being terrified. My father had a very violent temper. Um, he was an ex-Marine that was in Pearl Harbor. And, uh, and I didn't find out until recently what, uh, what that man lived through and why he was and why, you know, people don't just come out and just are, I mean, in my opinion, um, are just naturally angry. There's usually something underneath that's a trigger that hasn't been dealt with. And for my dad, I know what it was with, with the war that he walked through, but, um, the war that I walked through after being with him <laughs> was just as bad <laughs> in different ways. And um, my mom was a, she was a nut. She, you remember, I love Lucy. She was totally a Lucy. I mean, she would get up and bang the pots and pans, you know, for New Year's Eve. And she was always singing happy birthdays and, and uh, beating a drum. And she just would do bizarre, weird stuff. Best mom in the whole world. She loved me to death. She literally almost loved me to death. And uh, I had everything I wanted for nothing as a child. And um, from the time I was little, I had, I had horses, I had modeling lessons, I had hula lessons, you know, I had this, I had that, I had this and I had that. And there was nothing that I could, that anyone could do for me. It was like, I was totally dissatisfied all the time because I wanted to go over there. I wanted to go over there. I wanted to do something more. It was never, it was more, more, more. And uh, with that rebel yell, <laughs> more, more, more. I got to get there now. I don't know where I'm going. I'm seven years old, but damn it, I'm going to get there. And, uh, and literally, uh, that's what my life's been like. I've lived it. It was like, there's a song Steppenwolf had back in the day. It's uh, Born to be Wild. Born to be wild, you know, and I was just that's that was my song, that was my moda, my modus that I was going operating under. And uh, you know, as a kid, I was sent to parochial school and they kicked me out in seventh grade and said, No, you can't stay here, you're smoking in the girls' room, you can't do that here. And um, so they kicked me over to um, public school because I, I remember I used to be devastated getting on the little little buses they would make us go on for the for the parochial schools and I always wanted to be on the big bus you know with the other kids and so I got my wish and uh yeah. I was I was on the big bus now and you know I didn't fit in I was very very smart and um did really well in school but I again I had that wild streak and uh I met my girlfriend Kim and the two of us actually had met back at uh, Immaculate Conception and um <laughs> we used to hang out together and then we they were together in, in junior high there. And then uh, I started getting in trouble and I, not just the regular little trouble that I always got into, 
Um, but I got into a little bit bigger trouble and I was being sent away now to juvenile hall from the time I was very young. And um, I was running away, trying to commit suicide. See, I started uh, drinking, like I said, as, as a kid, young, but by nine years old, I was doing the white crosses and the rest of the outside issues that, you know, were available back in those days. And, um, you know, I was always running with the older crowd, always running. And um, I also used to ditch school and go to the racetrack instead of going. <laughs> I love the races. We grew up at uh, right next to Santa Anita racetrack. So I would go to the track instead of going to high school by the time I got there. And um, I was at a party and I walked into this party. It was one of those house parties that we used to have. And uh, my girlfriend, Kim, was there again. And she showed up and... Um, you know, that we hugged and it was like we had, you know, how kids are, oh, I haven't seen you so long. It's been a week. And, um, <laughs> you know, so we were there. And, and then uh, March 25th, a couple of days after my birthday, which is coming up March 22nd, um, she uh, was found uh, murdered over in Azusa Canyon and left there. Um, and that impacted me so greatly. I think the book talks about when we go through our lives and there's, there's, things that occur as you go through your life that make that little twist that you could have gone this way or you could have gone that way. But I use that death and, and, um, and I regret it deeply um, that, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me, another one. And I just really, really um, went crazy over it. It hurt. I'm not saying that it didn't, but, um, but it was one of those, again, the poor traumatic life that Jill had and look at what happened, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, my whole life has been selfish, self-centered, everything the book talks about focused on me. I have never looked around and seen too much other than you're suffering and I want to help you. And yes, I'll be there if it's convenient for me and I will show up when it's, when and if, and, um, you know, after she died, I, uh, I kind of really went a little crazy and, um, and I kept on drinking and partying with my friends and, uh, I would continue to run away from home and my dad and mom would continue to come get me every summer I spent in juvenile hall. And there was usually suicide because I'm very dramatic drunk, you know, <clears throat> so there's usually a suicide cutting or something else along the line in my story as I'm going through it. And, um, at 15 years old, I had not really gotten my driver's license, but I kind of knew how to drive. And my parents had just gotten a brand new LTD. And I took that LTAD and I went and drove it down to my friends, the guys I was hanging out, the guys of the day, got a six pack of beer and drank that beer with them. So I would imagine I only drank three or four of them, but the alcohol did something to me that it didn't do to the other people. I go crazy. I'm like an Indian. Give me some fire water. And I don't know what happens up here, but it's different every time. And I got behind that LTD and I wanted the guy to come with me and he wouldn't thank God. And I drove that LTD 80 miles an hour straight up the road into a restaurant in over the telephone booth and into this brick wall. And they cut me out with the jaws of life and, um, and I'm, I'm grateful that there was nobody in that restaurant at the time or that phone booth. And uh, I destroyed my parents' car and they took me to the hospital. I just remember my dad. My dad used to have these big old work 
pants that he walked around in and, and he had change in him and I can still hear it today. That change as he walked around that hospital gurney bed. He would be fucking rich, you know, fucking rich, you know. He was mad, he was scared. I see that now as a parent. At the time, I thought he hated my guts. And back again, I went to juvenile hall. You know, um, I got out of that and I came back home again. All I wanted to do was run. All I wanted to do was go to parties and always be with older guys. I left out the fact that at 12 years old, I started having sex. Um, and I think that's another big key for somebody like me that's very promiscuous or was, at least I am no longer. Um, but that little key twisted my personality and my, my, how life was going to go for me. And I was desperate to have somebody love me. Just get me out of my house. Get me away from these people. Just love me. Take care of me. And I want to be a grown-up. I'm 12 years old. I can't even imagine that today with, a, with some of the, you know, my own children, let alone, you know, kids that I see that are 12. And, uh, but that's the way we lived back then, you know, in 60s, 70s, you know, love-ins and drugs and da-da-da-da, and let's go. And um, one night... I'm back home again and, uh, you know, doing the same do. My parents also never stopped drinking every night. And um, I had gone over, decided that it was okay for me to go over to my girlfriend's house, who I loved. I loved being at their house. And um, next thing I know is I'm being pulled out of that house by the hair of my head by my father and, um, you know, thrown into the car. You're going home. Nobody gave you permission. Okay. <laughs> you know, as we're walking in, my mom's behind me or in front. I can't remember where she was exactly, but I, I was, my dad was definitely behind me because I was muttering under my breath something like, oh, you fucking bitch, no, 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 like that. And the last thing I heard as I went, he, you said what? And he came flying after me and we had this big ranch house. We had nice things. I mean, we're up in this, in this long ass house. I remember running as fast as my little legs could carry me in my bedroom to get away from my dad he was mad and uh, how dare you call your mother a bitch da, 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 da. and he started wailing on me like uh he was in the marines and i was the enemy and i was on the floor and uh the last thing i heard my mother and, and i remember seeing her because she was like this kind of drunk and she said uh donald get off of her get off of her if you don't get off of her i'm gonna get the gun and she did she next thing I knew she he kind of he she was pummeling my face and he got up to turn as she shot him and she shot my father um and he kind of did one of those things like you see in the movie and then down he went and um I ran to the to the phone across that front room back to the kitchen to get to the phone and I had this gun in my hand that I took away from my mother who's standing there in shock and uh, I'm screaming and crying for the police to come do something, do something. And they did come and they arrested my mother and took her to jail. And they took my father to the hospital. And I went back to my girlfriend's house where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. That was my life. That was like, not just once or twice. I mean, not they were shooting all the time, but I mean, it was insanity like that growing up. It was just craziness, car accidents with my father now driving and going into a tree. So by the time I was 17 years old, I had been um, one more time arrested, put into the system, and they sent me to live at uh, Florence Crittenton Home for Girls in East LA. 
And I was up there with the girls that were pregnant and going to have kids. I wasn't pregnant, but they needed me out of that house because obviously I was I was a re repeat offender constantly. And uh, my parents didn't want me back, but they wanted me fixed. They didn't know what was wrong with me. They had already sent me to Utah to live with the Mormons, you know, earlier when I was 12. And the Mormons sent me back and said, yeah, y'all need to figure out your problems yourself. We don't want her up here either. <laughs> and you know I was a good kid I was like I mean good in that I was always wild and crazy and very opinionated but I also you know I was smart I was intelligent and I, and I did what you know if they asked me to do something I would do it and um, anyways I ended up being uh, an emancipated minor at the age of 17 um, they let me go and I have I just found this letter the other day from my mother that she wrote to me and I haven't seen this letter in 50 years and I pulled out this letter and it said something to the effect of well you're emancipated now just like Lincoln freed the slaves you're now emancipated as well and I wonder what you're gonna do with all this newfound freedom and I'm like going oh my god and she but at the end of it it was heartbreaking at the end of it she said something um like you know you've been trying to run away from us since you were seven years old I hope someday you'll come back and tell me what you were running from, what looked so bad. And it really wasn't I was running away from them so much as I was running to the party or I was gonna go make the party. I just was not, and, and, and what I know now is that I've been an alcoholic since the day I was born. And it came, you know, the alcohol, just add alcohol, like just add water, man, it just made me into something that was, for a minute, it would feel so good. And it always normally ended in jails, institutions, suicide attempts, or morose, loud music playing and calling people on the phone all night long. You know, those <laughs> kind of drugs, that's what I am. They give it a wild woman. You know, I, uh, my parents decided to move from where we lived up there and they, they were coming down to the beach and I know they didn't really want me to come with them, but I had nowhere else to go. And so even though I was emancipated with all this new freedom, I was like, can I come live with you guys at the beach? That sounds fun. So I came down here and I got a job at the uh, in San Clemente and, and I got a job at the dry cleaner there. And I, of course, met people that drank and partied and um, went at it again. And, and I'm down there at... Uh, where were we drinking the red box lounge i think it was with somebody and uh i decided okay i'm gonna you know this green guy that was not a marine he, i think he was a cook there i don't know who this guy was but he said uh, he goes take my car you can go take these guys back to the green base you know so i do that and we go down there you know when you go onto the marine military base they have a you have to get out of your car check your car in because if you don't have your tags on the car you go in you check in and the MPs there at the little hut thing were, were arresting some other guys before theirs so that had all these beers. So they were just counting the beers the guy had in this car that he was bringing onto the base. The guy I'm taking down there for God knows what reason, um, he goes in and he grabs one of the beers and he puts it in his pocket. He comes back out to the car and he jumps in this duster car that he has. He goes, get out of here. Next thing I know, I got the MPs coming out and they're yelling, stop, halt, halt. He's going, leave, go now, now, okay. And I'm taking off in this duster. I do the U-turn. I'm getting off the military. Boom, 
boom, boom, boom. I'm starting to get shot at now. I hit the gas tank, everything else. <laughs> I'm not, I'm young. I'm 20 something years old. I'm not that bright. And uh, I get down to San Clemente and I get out of the car and there's the MPs, the San Clemente police, everybody else is there. And they, they grab me and, you know, they weren't very nice. And uh, they took me to a uh, federal prison uh, with Squeaky From <laughs> down, down in uh, San Diego. And uh, eventually I got out of that one. I don't know how, but I did get out of that one with probation somehow. But then after that, you know, the drinking doesn't stop. You know, when we're on your roll, you're on your roll. You're just, I'm a freight train out of control on a track going towards it and, and don't know. I've been introduced little hit bits and pieces here. You know, you really got a problem. You ought to go to that AA thing or yeah, right. You know, keep going, keep going. And um I was very promiscuous, like I said, and I was involved with the wrong kind of people. And um, it was the social elite of San Clemente who decided that he was going to open up a prostitution ring and that I was the perfect person for that job. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, uh, he had me arrested. Well, I volunteered because I was there um, looking for something and I had been accepted to Western State Law School. Remember, I'm very smart. So I've got this brain that gets straight A's, but the rest, there's no common sense in here. And uh, none. So uh, he, he, uh, he sets this whole thing up and, and then I, I get the bright idea. Well, I want the money for law school. So you give me the money for the law school. So back at the Red Facts Lounge again, <laughs> this time with this guy handing me this, this envelope filled with bills, right? So I'm like, yeah, I got the money. I can go to law school now and go back out the door. There's a, going to jail. This time I'm going to jail for extortion. And uh, I don't know how to extort in a paper bag. <laughs> like, what? What's extortion? And I remember the cop looking at me because I had done an interview with him on something for school. And uh, he liked me a lot. He's just shaking his head how the hell did you get here? You know, it's that, those, those eyes that look at you like, what the fuck's wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just being me. And um, off I went again and uh, went back to jail and uh, did a little stint out at CIW um, waiting for my 90 day evaluation to get out, get back in. And, and I got out and they put me on probation and I, I went to the court and I said, can I just move to Hawaii? I got accepted to the University of Hawaii out in Hilo. They said, go, you have our blessing. Don't come back to our state again. <laughs> got away again. So I get on the airplane and I'm going over to Hawaii and I get off the airplane and I, I'm with my boyfriend who was here, who had moved up there. And we go out and we go to Heavenly Hana and I start getting really sick. I'm like, oh, I'm getting really bad sick. You know, I'm, I'm in between getting to the school where I was supposed to register and being with him and smoking and doing our thing and drinking. And um, I ended up uh, going to the hospital out there. They had a little clinic out there called the Clinic of Hana. And I went to this clinic and this man looked at me, the doctor that was there, and he said, you're pregnant. <laughs> what? That doesn't go with the plan you're pregnant. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. So I walked out of that, out of that clinic and uh, I ended up coming back and flying back into, flying back into LA. And it was uh, 
4th of July. And I remember just having my head down. I was sicker than a dog on the flight in. And the lady next to me thought I was praying. She said, oh, it's so nice to see a young person praying on the plane. I said, oh, if you only knew. I had to beg my parents to let me back into their house. And they did. And, and uh, long story short is uh, I ended up renting a house over in San Juan Capistrano. And um, Scott was here earlier. He is not here, I don't think. He uh, he actually lived in that house. But um, I went through that nine months of pregnancy and I had that baby by myself. And um, I didn't know who the dad was. And um, it was a toss up. So we had to wait for a paternity test in order to get that, that established. And um, and I had this baby. And, uh, and I remember I brought her home from the hospital and mother was there. My mother was sitting on the couch and I can remember it like it was yesterday and I was drunk and I had this little infant in my arms and I was dancing to the music in the, in the front room was playing. And there was that drunken, drunken moment of clarity. It's always going to be like this for her. It's not going to change. And I love that baby more than anything. And it was like, this isn't going to get any different. And, um, she was born February 5th. I came into Alcoholics Anonymous um, April 12th of 1982. I hitchhiked with that baby <laughs> to the San Clemente Club. And I walked into my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and I was intending on staying. I didn't know what I was in for. I had no idea. But I ended up staying for three years and raising that child and renting out rooms in that house. I had a nice big three bedroom home and um, went back to school and um, got my AA degree. And uh, the, the women in Alcoholics Anonymous at that time, they babysat that kid for me for free. They took care of her. They made sure she had diapers and food and they took care of me. And I went to my meetings and, um, and I got very active in Alcoholics Anonymous, H&I, GSR, everything you can imagine. I was out there doing it. And, and, uh, and I had arrived like Bill Wilson in his thing when he went out to get it, I had arrived. Now I'm going to be the president of AA. And, and off I went. And uh, Mrs. Bailey was there and uh, Lucia. And these are some of the people in my very early sobriety. The meetings that I used to go to had a lot of the old timers. I walked with the giants. I walked with the giants of Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned from some of the best. And um, you know, I stayed sober for three years. I worked in drug and alcohol. I actually was involved very much in a lot of this, the, the uh, writing of the programs that some of you go to, as well as, um, you know, I, I was working in treatment at a hospital. And uh, I was supposed to be doing um, relationship counseling, yeah. <laughs> which was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and they would come in as married couples. I'd tell them to get a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> too much of the old stuff was still in me and I say ain't working just let it go <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing you know and um anyways I got on an airplane with this girl because I still had that had one foot in Alcoholics Anonymous and the other one was out one foot was still a hoe and the other one was I'm gonna be a good girl you know and I really didn't know who the hell I was and I had a kid at home and uh, off I would fly with this one, that one, and the next. And I, and I ended up drunk, obviously. And um, at three years of sobriety, I walked back into this, this meeting 
when it was over there at the Crown Valley um, Parkway. And Paul Harris was there and Paul went up to him and I'm so sorry, I'm, I got drunk. And he said, he goes, you can't hold on to my coattails. I ain't nothing I can say, do it till you're done. Do it till you're done. So I've only got 10 minutes left and I've got about 50 more minutes of story. So if I'm ever gonna get sober here, let me just tell you how many times, and I wanna say this, especially for our new friends, I had had three years of sobriety, drank again, two years of sobriety, drank again, one year of sobriety, again. in between that, I'm dealing pounds of whatever, you know, the outside substances are, I'm running around like a banshee and being sober, pagers going off in the meetings, and <laughs> gotta go, be right back, because I was all that, and I'm, I'm a single mom, I'm supporting everybody here, <laughs> you know, what do you think, and, um, you know, it was that last, uh, that last go out. I had nine years of sobriety and um, knew everybody in AA, but it didn't matter because they weren't keeping me sober and neither was I. Uh, I had no God and I certainly wasn't going to work with a newcomer. That was beyond me. Um, it was all about me. It's always been all about me. And if it's convenient, I'll help you, but that's it. And uh, I ended up one more time. Um, Falling in love with that guy, what Leslie was talking about, and this is the part of her story that she was sharing that she identified with, is there was a hymn, and some of you know that hymn, and that hymn um, was the obsession of my life. And that hymn, um, I couldn't win. I couldn't make that thing work. And uh, he had told me he wanted a child. Okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. And uh, he painted the beautiful picture. Oh, you're going to have the suburban. You're going to be down at San Onofre with the kids. It's going to be wonderful. Da, 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 da. Sure, I'll do it. So I got pregnant right away and uh, I ended up uh, having that child, but he went back to his wife and um, in doing so destroyed me in the inside that he didn't destroy me. I destroyed me. Um, my obsession with the, with him obs uh, just totally obsessed. 60 women threw a baby shower for that baby. He had like 10 godparents that were there on the beach to be uh, involved in his life when he was born. I went to court. I got a great child support you know, arrangement thing where I was making bank. It wasn't enough. I wanted him. I don't care about all the rest of the stuff. I want him. I mean, talk about laser vision. Um, well, I didn't get him, and I'm so glad I dodged that bullet today. Yeah. However, <laughs> I got drunk, and I got drunk by the worst way. On Christmas Eve, I was arrested um, trying to get my child. I was outside of his house, and um, they had my child in there, and they had taken custody away from me. And then they took all my kids away from me. So I had four children. All of them were gone in one fell swoop. I was now without without my kids, soon to be without a job. I worked for the County of Orange Drug and Alcohol Services, and I was a marriage and family therapist by this time. You see, I'm smart, I'm good, I can take tests, I can go to school, I can get jobs, but I can't stay sober. And I don't know how you guys are doing it. Damn it, I don't know how you're doing it. You guys kept telling me, read the book, read the book. <laughs> no, <laughs> so one book I'm not gonna read. <laughs> I ended up uh, suicidal. Um, 
they took me away. And when they did that, um, that was kind of my last, my last thing with him. The dads, there were two of them. They both got, I had four children by now and they got the kids and I got to sit on the outside looking in. So my best thing was I'm going to Vegas then I'm going to make money so I can afford to go to court and keep fighting for my kids. That's what my sick head was thinking. And uh, I did, I went to Cheetahs and I started working up there as a stripper and, um, you know, left my job there at the county. <laughs> now I'm making big bucks. <laughs> Problem is, is if you watch me walk, I can't walk real good. I'm not real steady on my feet anyways. I'm always kind of like this. And so with seven inch heels trying to do that. And they really wanted me to go dance up on that stage. And I'm like going dance on the stage. I can't do this too well. So I'd get up there you know, and try to... And I'd be around the pole and I'd think, oh, you got to get a let go of the pole. Come on. It's like, nope, not let go of this pole. I got to stay on the pole so I can stand up, right? And uh, <laughs> I'd hobble down off the stage and then I'd, okay, you can do a lap dance. And I'd do, try to do a lap dance and I'm just fucking crazy out of my mind. And I'm trying to do a lap dance. I still can't stand in these shoes. So it's like, okay, I'll sit on your lap. And as I'm sitting my lap, well, maybe I'll just throw my legs up in the air. <laughs> And I'm like going, oh shit, I can't get up. Gotta remember, I'm 40 years old when I'm doing this, right? I'm not young. So I'm playing over there and it's like, oh, just flip over and crawl out of here on my like fucking mud run. Oh, my dancing career didn't last long. Um, but I gave it a good go. And, uh, I ended up back in, in Dana Point and I, uh, I walked into a meeting after one more of those nights when I woke up and there was people in my house I didn't know. And I was drunk all night. I feel so sorry for my neighbors, whoever I had. I said, music's loud. I'm down. Oh my God. I went to AA. I went down. I didn't have a car. I didn't have anything. For my, I didn't have nothing. And I went down to... Uh, that little meeting that's down in the harbor in the morning at 7 a.m. And this big guy named Joey was there and he wrapped his arms around me and he said, you keep coming back. And I said, you're good looking, I will. And I did. <laughs> I, was, I was there the next day, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and I kept going and I don't know what happened, but uh, that started my journey on into sobriety. And then I remembered it about 30 days that I had known this lady named Ann Bailey and that I had this, this woman named Lucia that was in my life and that I had, I had all this knowledge about AA. It was all there. And it was like, shit, I used to go to good meetings with good people. And I wonder what they had. Well, needless to say, I ended up getting sober. I met Mark, my husband now, who I asked him if he would, uh, because I was still fighting for custody of my kids. They still had them all. I said, could we get married so I could look like I'm, I'm doing good? And he said, sure, business arrangement, we'll get married. And he took me and four kids on. I got all those kids back. He was the best dad that you could ever ask. He has been the best friend that anybody could ever want. He put up with my crazy ass as I went through continuing to get sober and uh, figure this thing out. And um, I just got to say, and I'm going to wrap it up pretty quick, is that I got, I got to about 15 years of sobriety, 16 years. I'd already lost, again, uh, I had a little mental break kind of there, but, but I, I reached out to AA and I kept going. I cut, tried to get back into meetings and, and, and hang in there. And then um, when the 
right, right about when the pandemic hit, we were sharing this at, at dinner as I was sitting there and I, I knew I was back in that spot that I get to. I don't feel like I'm a part of you. I don't fit in here. I'm not connected. Something's not right. I need to leave again. And I knew it was coming. And um, thank God for COVID because it made me pick up that uh, thing because I didn't know what to do. I, and I, I had a YouTube and the Odomology came in and I started listening to some old speaker tapes called her Bob Darrell. And listen to somebody's story, listen to Bob Darrell's story. Changed my life, changed my sobriety. I went, oh shit, that's what they've been talking about. He talked about, because I was right there at the bedevilments again. And he said, you need to get this thing like there's no tomorrow. Get it. This program is in there. It's the book is the directions, but you got to do the work, do the directions the way it's outlined exactly and specifically and precisely in order to get what they got. And it all of a sudden it clicked. It clicked for me. And I stayed at home. I was the Bob Barrel, Kate P, Adam T. I was just, I was on it and I got filled and I worked those steps like I've never worked those steps. And the other piece that was missing was working with others. I had to get my head out of my ass and I started sponsoring. Finally, somebody wanted what I had because I had something to give, right? <laughs> up to that point, I didn't have anything. So I ended up getting sober uh, in a whole new way. And I sponsor a lot of women and many of them are here today and I hope I've added to their lives. I mean, they, they, they have added to mine, as I said, they are the handprints on my heart and I love each one of them very very much and um like i said they saved my life there's one thing i want to read because they said i i gotta go now um i could go on talking because i love alcoholics anonymous um being being of service being accountable having my seat and being a trusted servant is today what matters most to me i tell god you got you got all the finances and the rest of that stuff you take care of that I'll do whatever you put in front of me to do today. And that's all I know how to do. I like to close with this. And I just love it because it's been my truth. I sought my God and my God I could not see. I sought my soul and my soul, it eluded me. And I sought to serve my fellow man. And there I found all three. <coughs> Thank you for allowing me to share.